Amen. Well, it is good to see us. And uh, it's good to look at the text. And really what we're going to be looking at, even though that passage of Scripture, uh, again, happened to be read, is over in Galatians chapter 5. If we can turn again over there, Galatians chapter 5, and we'll begin our are looking at verse number 13, and if you have your Bibles open to Galatians chapter 5, we'll begin reading at verse number 13. I'll just read a couple verses. Uh, these are the verses we started going through this morning, but they read in verse number 13. It says, uh, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love, the, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite... And devour one another. Watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And it's incredible, again, to look at. Well, let me just say this, uh, starting out. Tim was uh, uh, mentioning me just before service how difficult it is to preach on a Sunday afternoon, especially, again, when you've had a great meal and a wonderful meal. There's nothing I would like. Uh, well, no, no, I shouldn't say that because I'd rather be here in the pulpit preaching this message today. But secondly, I would love a little nap. You know, it's just amazing, again, how our bodies are weak and, uh, and uh, so on like that. But I think the cost of, of uh, not having my afternoon Sunday nap is, 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 is worthy to be thrown out. Just having this extended time celebrating and celebrating the great grace of God you know, in, in this passage of Scripture. You know, and we mention even as we go and look at the church, it's amazing, and we're speaking in broad terms about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's amazing to look at, but the church is being torn apart today, isn't it? You know, and I'm speaking again broadly, you know, not just of Emmanuel Baptist Church, certainly not Emmanuel Baptist Church, but, but, but the church broadly. It's being ripped apart, and it's being ripped apart not from the outside, but in, inside influences. You know, and when you look at all the division, when you look at all the infightings, when you look at, again, everything that happens to be going on, it's absolutely amazing. And you ask people who are in the midst of all of those battles, all of those strife, you know, what is to blame? They many times point at the other people that happen to be in the congregation. Many times they even wish that these people were not in the church of the Lord Jesus. And here's the amazing thing. God calls us from different perspectives, right? It's the same gospel, and we believe in the same gospel. We believe that this is the word of God. But he, but he calls us from different perspectives, different um, age groups, uh, different uh, cultures, different peoples. And he calls us, again, into one banner. And that's the strength. That is not the weakness. But, you know, as I look at the church land, landscape so often, I think, again, there's a uh, what I would call you know, attacking the church right now. And if you happen to be political in nature, please don't get offended uh, uh, by me. But I think there's an ultra-conservatism that happens to be again out there. As I talk to people who have, and, and people both inside of, of Christ and outside of Christ, who have many of the same political views that, that I have, there is an absolute fear. You know, is once they hear that I'm a believer in Lord Jesus Christ, they assume it's sort of politics that happen to be around me. And they say, did you hear about what, what Prime Minister, uh, what's his name, Trudeau said? <laughs> right? Did you hear what he said? Did you hear what Doug Ford's going to try and pass? Did you hear this emotion that, the, that they have? And here's the amazing thing. All we do is spread fear so often, don't we? You know, that, that there's a greater power, there's a greater authority than the God that happens to be again of, of, uh, of uh, heaven. You know, and you see this again through, through, uh, throughout. You know, and what, what I'm really fearful many times is secondary issues become primary 
Isn't it true? Now, many of you do have not, not experienced this because many of you have not been pastors, but it's amazing when people phone the church or they contact me through email and want to know something about the church, they'll ask maybe one or two questions, and very rarely am I asked what gospel I preach. Very rarely am I asked, you know, do you believe in the doctrine of justification by faith alone and Jesus Christ alone, and what does that mean? You know, many times I'm asked questions like, what, can, what kind of music uh, do, you, do you play? What's your worship service? You know, is it contemporary or is it traditional? And they're going to make their decision whether they come out by what kind of music we play. You know, many times I'm asked the question, what version of the Bible do, do, you, do you use? And people are going to make a, um, a, a decision whether to come out to church or not by what, what translation of the English Bible that we use. You know, and you see this. What are, uh, this was a favorite one a couple years ago, what are your COVID regulations? And, pe and people don't care about the gospel. You know, and uh, I read this, um, I read this, uh, this survey that was done, I think it was done through Christianity Today, beg me again, uh, forgive me if I'm wrong on this, but it asked evangelical parents what they would be more disturbed, what they would be more distressed about if their children married somebody outside of the faith or if their children married somebody with a different political persuasion. And you know what the vast majority said? You know, we would be more distressed if our child married somebody out of a, out of a different political persuasion. Have we gone mad? You know, and, and here's the thing, beyond a shadow of a doubt, I don't believe... I don't believe for a second that the problem is that we make secondary issues primary. I think that's just an outcome of what is really going on in our heart. You know, and one of the things that we brought out this morning, and one of the things that, 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 that we have to realize beyond a shadow of a doubt, is so often the reason why we want to make secondary things primary is because we don't believe the gospel. You know, and what I mean by that is we don't believe the gospel in a practical sense. You know, we sit there and we judge others, you know, as being acceptable, being righteous in God's sight, based upon, again, all these other criteria that happen to be, again, out there. I mean, think, past, think back through the past week or two weeks, you know, the conversations that you've had. Maybe they've been about other people. Maybe it's just been slander. Maybe it's just been backbiting, and you're just sharing information. You're just sharing slander about another person. Just to share it. You're, you're not saying, how do I handle this situation? I've got this situation. But you're just sharing it. You know, what is that? That is, here it is, the gospel of self-justification rather than the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in which, again, all of us, again, profess to love and, and, say, and say that we stand in. And this is what Paul is fighting about in this letter to, to Galatians. It's not so much the false doctrine that happens to be out there, but it's the false practice. You know, we see Peter separate himself from these Gentile believers, and he gives this impression that God is more pleased with, the, with Jews because of their behavior, because of their dietary restrictions, because of circumcision, than he is with these Gentile believers. And this is where we have to realize beyond a shadow of a doubt that the doctrine of justification, which is the church's sure foundation that's found in Jesus Christ and his work alone, is not just an escape hatch that happens to begin from hell. 
But it's the most pertinent, the most necessary truth in our lives, the most practical truth that we can live in light of as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and this morning I said I had a three-part message, right? And the first message is to say beyond a shadow of a doubt that the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ our Lord and what he has done. That's where we stand. You ask me why, how I know I'm going to heaven. You ask me how I know I can appear before a holy God. And we don't point to self. We point to him. His finished work, what he has done. And we also said the natural bent of the human heart. doesn't matter if you're a believer or an unbeliever. But when we're left to ourselves, the natural bent of the human heart is towards self-justification, self-righteousness. Well, tonight, or this afternoon, I'd like to preach on that third point. And the third point is basically when we apply the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to our lives, we all of a sudden become a grace-infused, a grace-saturated congregation that's living in light of this, that Jesus Christ truly is that firm foundation. You know, he truly, again, is our Lord and Savior. And I want us to look at that point, and I also want us to see the warning that happens to be again in this passage of Scripture in verse number 15. But, but before we get to verse number 15, let's just read verses 13 and 14 and be reminded what this is. It says, for you were called to freedom. And remember what that freedom is. That freedom is from the tyranny, from the penalties, from the condemnation, from the curse of the law. For you were called to freedom, brothers. And then he says this, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Remember, that's where we want to go back to time and time again. But here's the contrast. Here's the way you should live. But use your freedom through love to serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now think about it. Because again, as we look at this, I think, uh, remember, we're always taking what we see in society many times, and somehow it's finding its filter, it's filtering in to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so often, in the church, we think individually, don't we, about the church of Jesus Christ. You know, and we don't think of corporately that I belong to the church. This is a body, and I'm connected to this body. Many times we think individually, so here it is, here's church, over here, right? And I'm going to go to church. You know, I think of it geographically, I think of it as an activity, I do church, I go to church, right? And here I am over here, I'm on my own island, I'm with my family, maybe a few other loved ones, and every week I take the ferry, or I take my boat, and I come over to the church, and I do church, and then, then I go home. And I think a lot of times we profess that I really want a great relationship with my Lord. I want it to be real. I want it to be vital, but we want it to be real. We want it to be vital on our own terms. And here's how we think individually. We think, and I know you know this, we think life is about us. Isn't it true? We think it's about us. And guess what? Life is not about you. Right? One of the most popular th uh, philosophies, you know, you're having difficulties, you're having problems, you're having struggles that happen to begin in your life. And one of the po most popular philosophies that happen to begin out here, and I want you to hear it because I'm sure some of you believe this, before you can ever take care of others, you have to take care of what? Of yourself. Right? Here's the problem with that philosophy. I never stop caring for what? Self. And think of what the gospel of justification does. When I'm preaching that gospel, when I'm seeing the glory of Jesus Christ and all that he's done for a sinner like me, 
All of a sudden, in the gospel, here, here's what happened. I become other sinner. So I take back seat, and I think of others' needs. I think of others' struggles. I think of others' desires. I think of others' happiness. I think of others' joys before myself. That's what the gospel does. It makes us uh, other-centered. And, and here it is. We are so other-centered. Think about it. it so, so here it is. It's about others. And here it is. God is above others, right? So here's our love for God, and it filters down. We're thinking about others, but we're not thinking about it. Self, and let me ask you, has your knowledge of the Word of God, has your knowledge of justification by faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ, has your knowledge of the sure foundation, which is Jesus Christ, and staring and reveling in all that he is for us, created another centeredness that happens to begin in you? Created a love for this great God that happens to be there. Because look at what he says here. He says, but, right, here's the contrast. Don't use it as an opportunity to have the flesh, but through love serve one another. And think of what he's just said, because he's told us there's a freedom in Christ. I'm no longer condemned by the law. And think of it right here. If I truly believe that I am free, I'm free to do anything that I want to do right now. Here's the question. What would you do? If you truly believe that. And here's, whole, here's Paul's whole point. If you truly believe that, truly believe that Jesus Christ, out of his great love, has paid for everything, then what will come from your life, that freedom, is a want, a desire, not a compulsion, not a have to, but a want and a desire to be a blessing to other people, to serve other people, out of this Christ-centered love. And that's what he means by through love, right? Through love is not trying to find something loving of these people. It's concentrating on this freedom that we have, this freedom in the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember, again, it's not divorced from the context. It's not divorced from the context. The context is Christ has come. Christ has come in human flesh. Christ has lived that life that I could never live. Christ has died in my stead. And the gospel of the Lord Jesus tells me that this is the only way this is the only way I can never live that life. And here's the amazing thing about your sinfulness. This is why it's so important that we grow in the doctrine of justification by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. Because none of us realize how glorious God is. Right? None of us. None of us have reached, wow, this is who God is. This is how glorious. This is how grand. This is how worthy is. And so none of us can realize beyond a shadow of a doubt how great a sinner we are. And what our sin deserves, right? The more that we learn about God, the more we see his beauty, the more we see his worth, his glory, the more we recognize how reprehensible and sin is. The more I recognize sin in my own life, the more I recognize that hell was made for a person like me. Hell was made for a person like you. But look at what God has done. He didn't love me because I deserved this love. He came and chose to love me and live that life that I could never live and die to take that punishment that I could never pay for if I was a thousand upon a thousand upon a thousand years in eternal hell paying that punishment for sinning against this holy God. I mean, have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about, again, the plan that drew salvation? Uh, plan. Have you ever thought about if I truly believed in this cornerstone, if I truly believed in Jesus Christ, if I was truly uh, growing to see who he is and what he has done, ask yourself, 
how different would your life be? How different would it be? You know, because when you look at it, that's what he's talking about. Through love. Here it is. I have this freedom. Look at what Christ has done for me. Now, through love, serve one another. And the key there, right, is not gives bland, ritualistic service that happens to be again right there, but a love that is intoxicated by loving the Savior because of who he is and what he has done in our life. That means I, I get my definition. There's a different quality of life because I get my definition. I get my definition of love, not in a worldly philosophy, not in my own thoughts, but from a person, from Jesus Christ. And when I look at what he has done, here's the definition again of love. Love is this, willing sacrifice, right? It's willing sacrifice where I give up in my life for the, here it is, for the joys, for the welfare of those whom I love. And it doesn't need to be reciprocated. It doesn't need to be paid back, does it? You know, we can never pay back Christ's love. I can never go, okay, you gave me this wonderful gift. Here's what I'm going to give back. There, we're even. We can never do that, Right? We realize even as we on go, even after we come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, even after we find out who he is, we go on sinning. None of us have been perfectly sanctified that happened to begin in this life. And we realize that. And it doesn't need, it cannot be paid back, but it's willing sacrifice. You know, our hearts want to do this. And here it is, the person who we love, the person who we sacrifice, the person who we serve, doesn't need to be worthy of that love. And how do we know that? Because I'm not worthy of that love. You're not worthy of that love. And let me, let me say, seeing ourselves in the presence of God, you know, causes us to love. And he goes on and speaks of that love because he says for, he's explaining against something of this love and the need of this love. And he says again here in, in, uh, in uh, verse number 14, he, he says, for the whole law of law, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. Here it is. You shall, love your, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Let me just say this. When it says the whole law, what, what's it mean? What's the whole law mean? The whole law means what? Thank you. It means the whole law. Right? Not part of the law. You know, and this is what the Jews tried to do. There's 613 commands that happen to be again in the Old Testament. I don't know who counted them. I never counted them. You know, but there's 613 commands. Well, who can remember all 613 commands? Is there a way that I can condense them? Is there a way that I can somehow have an umbrella over one or two commands where I can remember all of the others and by doing this one command that it could actually be, actually be faithful to this great God that happened to be here? And here Paul says, yeah, there is. And you know what it is? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So think of this. Pauline theology. If you had to name the preeminent command in all of the Old Testament, what would it be? Pauline theology. And it would be, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, wheels are spinning, right? You can say, hey, hang on. There's another passage of Scripture. Another passage of Scripture is by, by, by the words of our Lord Jesus Christ that tells us the preeminent Command in all of Scripture, in other words, the umbrella that causes us to obey all of the other Scripture, is a greater command. And the greater command happens to be in Matthew chapter 22, beginning at verse number 37. And listen to what it says. You shall love the Lord your God. Right? There it is. God. God. 
God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. In other words, the entirety of your being. And this is what he says. This is the great and first commandment. Right? There it is. Love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. Delight to do his will. Delight, again, to find out who he is. Treasure him above all else. And beyond a shadow of a doubt, you will fulfill all of law. That's the first and great commandment. That's the umbrella. So here's the question. How can Paul say that the preeminent command is to love your neighbor? And how can Jesus say, which one's wrong? And, here, and here's my theological answer. Neither one of them is wrong. And the reason why is because Jesus doesn't stop there. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 22, beginning of verse number 39. And he says, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And listen to what he says next. On these two commandments depend all the law and the promise. And the prophets, in other words, this is a linchpin. This is what holds them all together. Well, let's get back to Paul. Why didn't Paul state loving God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind? And the reason why Paul does not say that, get this, it's assumed. What doctrine has he been talking about? He's been talking about what? The love that drew salvation's plan. This great freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. Right? Right? And what Jesus says right here, because you have to see this link, right? The second is like the first. The second is like to it. Otherwise, there's a link that happens to be right here. You cannot have one without the other. Right? I can't say, oh, man, I have a great relationship with my Lord. I just hate other people. Right? I just can't stand the people of God. We can't say that. And why? Because the second is like to it. You love other people, and here it is, here it is, the care I used to have for myself. It's about me. It's about me. I've got to take care of myself. got to take care of myself. got to take that care that I used to have for myself. When I see what Christ has done, when I look and behold his beauty, when I treasure him above everything else, there's a spillover horizontally that causes me to love people that I would never love. I mean, it's absolutely an amazing thing that happened to be there. And let me just give a couple of challenges here. And one is to always remember the context of all of the Pauline epistles. In fact, again, of all the epistles that happen to be again uh, in the New Testament. They're always here. And I, and I want you to get this. They're always local church-based. All of them. Whether it's Philippians, whether it's Ephesians, whether it happens to be even uh, books that are written to individuals. Titus, who happens to be again at Crete, Right? Whether it happens to be Timothy, who happens to be at Ephesus. They're all local church-based. And the reason why I say that is something that I said when we first began. Because so often we say, yeah, 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 I get this, I get this. We ought to love, we ought to love, we ought to love. But so often we're not connected to the church. And the reason why, and this is peculiarly a North American, or what we call a third world um, uh, Problem, and it's basically this. When we look at the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's never with a sense of belonging. It's a sense of either geography or an activity that happens to be in our life, right? So Sunday, where'd you go? We went to church. Sunday, what did you do? We did church. But it's not the idea, again, of belonging, of connectedness. 
And there's a glorious doctrine that happens to be again taught in the Word of God, and that is the moment that I believe on Jesus. Here it is, here it is. I'm baptized into what is known as the body of Christ. So much so that when God the Father in his judicial robes looks at me, he doesn't see me. He sees the absolute righteousness, the absolute perfect sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm forever more identified with him. I'm forever more baptized into his presence. It's not talking about physical baptism. It's talking about spiritual baptism. I am in Christ forevermore. But not only that, I'm connected to every other believer. So think about it. Here, here's the invisible, what's called the invisible church, many times the universal church, but the outworking of that which is in, invisible, that which we cannot see, that which is the, uh, universal, is the local church. And there's a sense when we come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, where we're brought into the church and we belong to the church. We have activity in the church. And let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, you cannot love the way God calls you to love by coming out one hour a week. Can't do it. Can't love your families. I love my children, but I'm only going to see them one hour a week. I love my spouse, but I only have this one hour a week to see with them. Let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, you cannot love the way that God has called you to love in a sacrificial way of giving of your time, giving of your life for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and the welfare of saints unless you're willing to come out and be involved in the lives of those that happen to be around us. And the other thing I want to say beyond a shadow of a doubt, that this is willing service. And what we mean by this, you know, I'm over, so overflowing. I'm looking at what Christ has done. I'm recognizing what he's done for a sinner like me. And I'm overwhelmed by this grace, right? I'm in love with this great God that it becomes willing. I'm looking. I'm not waiting, you know, just tell me how to love. Just tell me who to love. Just tell me what to do. Just tell me what service to do, what sacrifice to do, and I'll do it. No, it's looking for opportunities to show that love of Jesus Christ. And there's a zeal. There's a joy that happens to be again about that. Isn't it true? I mean, all of you who happen to be um, Sunday school teachers, whether you te- uh, lead on Wednesday night and you're all excited about leading on Wednesday night, you're all excited about your Sunday school classes, class, and somebody will say, well, why do you do it? Why do you do it? Pastor, why do you do every single Sunday, get up in the pulpit and preach? You know, why do you do that? Why do you put yourself under all that pressure to exegete God's word again correctly and preach to the people of God? And we say many times, well, we're only preaching to one and it happens to be Christ. And that's not true. That's not true. It's not true. But we preach to others. And why? Because my love for God causes me to love the people of God. And the reason why any Sunday school teacher, the reason why any preacher, the reason why any Wednesday night worker puts all that effort in that's worth any pound of salt is because they care about the people of God. They want the people of God to grow in that magnificent grace of Christ. They want people to behold the beauty of Jesus Christ crucified, yea, risen from the grave. And there's a joy that overwhelms our hearts. There's a depth of love. This is not something that's ritualistic. Now, think about that. Think about that vision of the church. Think about, again, if all of a sudden people walked into this church and saw that. Think about, again, if we were so grace-infused, so amazed by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ 
that all of a sudden, people in the church, people who were going through marital issues, people who were going through all kinds of different individual uh, uh, problems, all of a sudden saw people, people loving people this way. Think of all the people who would be blessed, all of the people who would be changed. Think of even in our community where people are so lonely, so lost, so me-centered. If they came in and saw a congregation that was so zealous of being God-centered that they were other-centered and they served other people, realizing Christ's unmerited and unglorious grace that happens to be in our life. And we might say, well, how do we get there? How do I, as an individual, get there? And it's, and it's this, right? Right, it's spiritual. It's not, again, I'm going to do this on Monday morning, but here it is. It's beholding Christ, isn't it? Beholding who he is and what he has done for people like us. And the clearer I see him, the clearer we'll have that horizontal dimension and love other people. But just think of the witness we could be in one another's lives. Think of the change that we could help in one another's lives if we truly lived there, if we were just grace-infused, you know, a grace culture that existed in Emmanuel Baptist Church. And what we have to do is really stop thinking about ourselves. This is how wonderfully and deeply the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ um, really changes us. But there is a warning in this passage. And let me just give a few more minutes again with this warning. And it says, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So it gives us a picture, doesn't it, of what it looks like. It looks like, again, we're speaking of the reality of the gospel. We're preaching justification of by faith. And then we're living that out, you know, in serving one another and sacrificing one another and truly loving us in a biblical way. And then he shows us what it looks like to profess this gospel but not live in light of it. And let me say, as you look at this description, the church landscape is strewn with examples who, of individuals who have torn one another apart through disagreements, through unloving stances that it happened to be. You know, and I would never say this. I've seen it all in my day. Because once I say that, I see something else. I can remember Pastor phone, uh, phoning me up, and he was asking me what to do because it was a church split that was going on in his church. And I asked him what happened. And he says, we took the piano, and we moved it off the uh, platform. Right? Yeah. Right? Slippery slope. We've gone down that slippery slope. How dare anyone take the piano off the platform? You know, what's going to be next? You know, and it's, uh, it's amazing. I was uh, reading um, about this church in Kentucky, and this was at the turn of the uh, 20th century. And uh, there was two, these two Baptist churches that existed in town, and they were called One Peg Baptist Church. This is a true story, by the way. One Peg Baptist Church and Two Peg Baptist Church. You know how they get their name? There was a peg that happened to be a back. A, back of the, the uh, church, and that's where the pastor would hang his, his uh, coat. Well, one day somebody came in and said, I want to hang my coat up the back there, and he put a peg in there. And it actually split the church. So they built a new church, and guess what they did? They put one peg in the back of the church. And so that's what they were called, one peg and two peg. Are you a one pegger or are you a two pegger? But, it, but it's amazing. I mean, many times we mock and scorn these things, but here it is, our hearts 
do not want to live in light of the doctrine of justification by faith alone. And Jesus, I want to find some reason that differentiates me, that makes me more acceptable in God's sight in myself. And it's incredible again. How many church divisions, how many church splits there are today and people in those midst of those church splits say the reason why there's a church split is not because of me. People will not listen to me instead of, you know, and sometimes you're right. Sometimes you're correct. Sometimes you're theologically right on in what you are saying. But let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt that there's a grace given to individuals. There's a gentleness in the way that we handle and even when we correct other people. It's not with a hammer, Right? When we do one another ministry, other people are not our opponents. They're people that we're called to minister to. So look at a caution here. He says, but if we bite and devour one another, watch out that we are not consumed by one another. And the but is a contrast in between, again, the way that we ought to be using our freedom, the way that we ought to be standing and showing the beauty of justification by faith. And both of these are using one another language, aren't they? Serve one another in love. And here it is. If you dip, bite and devour one another. And think of what's biting and devour. It's a, it's a metaphor, isn't it? It's not that I happen to be, again, so angry at Tim McGuire that I go up and I start gnawing on him. You know, it's not talking about that. But let me tell you, even if I did that to Tim, which I would never do, brother, but even if I did that with Tim, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that your worst hurts in life came through words. Isn't it true? There's things that you can think of right now that bring pain to your soul. Isn't it true? And you realize that. And here, and here it is. Right? Yeah, 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 I'm justified. Yeah, 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 I got freedom. Yeah, 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 let's put this aside. You should have seen what so-and-so did. You should have seen the activity that they did. Yeah, I know you think they're spiritual, but let me tell you the truth about so-and-so. Right? In other words, there's a difference between me and them. There's a difference. And when it says, beware that you're not consumed, do you know what consumed means? It means to be destroyed. And think of it, because I've met so many people, and I know some of these people, they're only giving me their side of the story. I know many times they have been their worst enemies. I know many times, again, when you look at that, there's always two sides that happen to be of the story. But I've met so many individuals that never go to church. And the reason why they give me so often is they have been bitten and devoured so much so that they've lost their confidence in Jesus Christ. I mean, doesn't that overwhelm you? And think of it, because I mentioned this before, the church landscape is full of individuals. Instead of loving others, instead of the correcting them, even with gentle correction, want to devour them. And let me ask you, where's the doctrine of justification by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone? Where's that teaching that my only hope is in Jesus and his righteousness? Where's that gospel of grace? Where's that gospel that really teaches me about the glory of Jesus Christ? People can be so damaged by others. And here's the thing. It's all done 
in the name of Jesus. That's the stunning part of it. And think of the witness that happens to be again around them. You know, I can remember going to a church on the South Shore in Nova Scotia, and I went in there. And as I walked in there, I was a visiting preacher, and you could feel the tension. You could feel the anger. You could feel the hostility. You could feel you could, it. was almost like people's hairs in the back of their head were standing up, and if anybody said anything wrong, they were going to go ballistic against one another. And think of it, because here comes outsiders. They're coming into the church, and we preach the doctrine of justification, God's acceptance through Jesus Christ by mere repentant faith in him, and they can't accept one another. Think of the witness. You preach a glorious message, but you don't even believe it yourself. Look at the way that you treat one another. And so here you have a portrait of two churches professing justification alone in Jesus Christ alone. Jesus is our only cornerstone. Here's one, and here's the other one. And here's an amazing thing. You know, if God tarries and gives Emmanuel Baptist Church another 71 years, which church are we going to be? You know, and there's a challenge for all of us. Those of us who happen to be getting older, I happen to be one of them today, 60 years old. I can remember again last year on my birthday, the government sent me some papers saying you can, uh, what is it, your old age? You, you, can, you can qualify for your old age or you can send your paperwork that happened to begin in your old age. I'm still young, so I haven't done it. So, so anyways, but when we look at that, it's a reminder that I have more life behind me than I have ahead of me. You know, and I think when we get older, we think, well, you know, I am just going to leave it to the younger folks, and I'm going to retire, and I sit in church, and I'm going to let them serve. You know, and what we do is we end up being what I would call couch potato Christians. You know what a couch potato Christian is? Right? If you ever watch sports, you understand what a couch potato Christian is. It's basically this, just to criticize you know, think about it. I'm going to use the last 20, 25 years of my life not being active for God, not trying to invest, not trying to live out the gospel of grace, but just become a critic of everyone else that happens to be again in our life. And for those who happen to be again younger, you know, when I look at you, I see, again, so much potential of what Christ can do in your life. I'm so thankful for you. But here's the thing. In reality, I can tell you, Many of the members who happen to be again right here that have hair like me or no hair like me ain't going to be here in 20 years. You know, and we have this gospel of justification by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. And here's the question. Are you going to let that gospel saturate your heart, change and transform your heart, that all of a sudden you're going to take up the mantle? You're going to start serving. You're going to start loving other people and show the breathtaking beauty of Jesus Christ and all that he is. You know, the church's true foundation, in fact, the church's one foundation and only one foundation is Jesus Christ. And it's found in the doctrine of justification by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. As Luther said, the church either lives, the church either stands, or the church either falls by it. 
The question is, what are we going to live for? Who are we going to live for? Who are we going to let shape our church as we go forward? We need to believe in Christ. We need to live in light of all that he's done for us as sinners. Let's bow our hearts in a moment of prayer. What challenging truths, Lord. Really, as we think of the church, we thank you for Christ. We thank you that he is our sure foundation. We thank you for all that he is for us. And Lord, when we look at the book of uh, Galatians, it can be so frightening. It really can. Lord, it can be really terrifying to realize beyond a shadow of a doubt we can take so much pride, Lord, in how we exegete the scripture. We can have so much, Lord, um, uh, puffiness about our intellect, even about these truths that happen to be again in your scripture. Lord, that we can look down at other churches, we can look down at other individuals that do not have the knowledge, do not have the insight, Lord, that we have. And Lord, we can have all of that and yet dishonor you. It's as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if we have all knowledge, even understanding all mysteries, and do not have love, it profits us nothing. It's not glorifying to you. And God, I pray that through the gospel, through this particular doctrine, which is at the heart of our salvation, justification in Christ alone, in him, would truly change us. Lord, that it would begin to transform our hearts. It would begin to transform even the culture of our church. Lord, that we would be more other-centered, more Christ-centered, more giving, Lord, more gracious as far as our cultures, culture towards one another. Help us to be obsessed with Christ. Help us to be, again, so infatuated, so enthralled with him that we would forget about ourselves and truly care for one another for your eternal glory. We thank you so much. Just be with us now. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Brother.